0: To celebrate Marketplace's 35th anniversary, we've made some throwback thank you gifts you can get when you donate during this March fundraiser. We took our old .com era logo and put it on a sticker, on a glass mug, a tote bag, and a t-shirt. No matter how much you donate, you can get a fun piece of Marketplace history. Check them out at Marketplace.org donate. These limited edition gifts are only available through March 22nd. Get yours at Marketplace.org slash donate. You've seen the headlines. Bonds are making a comeback. But if you've ever tried to invest in bonds, you know what a clunky, complicated, broken experience it can be. That's why at Public, we took fixed income and fixed it. Now you can find, evaluate, and buy thousands of bonds with an investing experience designed this century. Add fixed income to your portfolio with corporate, treasury, and municipal bonds. Go to public.com slash marketplace to get started. This podcast is sponsored by Public. Full disclosures can be found at public.com slash bonds. All right, what about this? An economy that's not too hot, not too cold, but the Fed just doesn't want to say that. What we learned this week about this economy from American public media, this is Marketplace. Los Angeles. I'm Kyle Rizdahl. It is Friday today. This one is the 22nd of December. Good as always to have you along, everybody. Yes, the year is almost done. But as I think I said a couple of days ago, the second to last week of 2023 has brought with it some economic nuggets that should be discussed. So we will. Amara Mokwe is at the Wall Street Journal. Amara, hi, how are you? Hey, Guy. Uh, so let's start today with PCE, personal consumption expenditure. As uh, everybody who listens to this program or reads business and economic news knows, it is the Federal Reserve's preferred measure of inflation, 2.6% year-on-year, which is oh so close. Month-on-month, it is down, actually. Prices are down in this economy. Hmm? What do you, first of all, what do you think of it? Well, I'm just really
1: struck by where we are and how different that is from where we were at this time last year. Mm-hmm. So just coming into twenty twenty three, you know, the 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 feeling was that we could get a recession at the end of this year or early in twenty twenty four because of the Fed's rate hikes. And now with these inflation numbers that we've been getting recently, it's a totally different tune, right? A lot of economists mm-hmm. are feeling like the soft landing scenario is 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 feasible. And it's just such a it's such a it's such a marked
0: difference from where we were this time last year. Okay. That's what you think about it. What do we think Jay Powell thinks about it? And remember, this is a guy who said in a in a Q&A session like a month, six weeks ago, what a good time was for Jay Powell. He's asked that question. He said, A really good time is a good inflation report. This is yep. it. It's been handed to him gift wrapped.
1: Yes, it has. And um I think that what you've seen Chair Powell doing is acknowledging and welcoming the progress that uh the Fed has made on bringing inflation down, but still striking a somewhat careful tone about where the Fed will go next. Right. They are saying that the base case scenario is no more rate hikes. Mm-hmm but they haven't said that they uh, they haven't taken rate hacks off the table. And they also haven't said, you know, they also haven't given a timeline for when they could start to cut rates. So you see a little bit of caution still. And I think it's also notable that at the last uh, press conference after the Fed meeting, yeah. you also saw Chair Powell talking about this idea of not holding on too long, right? Not keeping rates this high for too long. So they, they are considering a bunch of different things right now.
0: Granted that it's a delicate balance and Powell is walking an economic tightrope as well as a, a, a communications tightrope. Do you think it's, mm-hmm. just to get back to where I started the program, where the Fed doesn't really want to talk about it, um, this economy is doing really well. Prices are mm-hmm. still elevated. And, mm-hmm. and what you hear out of the Fed is, is more caution than, than promise.
1: Yeah, because they got inflation kind of wrong before, right? And they, and they, and they, I think that's part of where the caution is coming from. They Mm -hmm. don't want to uh, see inflation firm up again. And so they are trying to manage expectations, particularly in the markets.
0: All right. Yeah, that's fair enough. Okay. So uh, another big indicator this week, the last revision of gross domestic product for the third quarter, 4.9% growth in the in the third quarter, as I said. Slowing a bit, according to the Atlanta Fed, here in the fourth quarter. Still, though, this is that, I, I hate to use the Goldilocks thing, but this is an economy doing really well, right? Growing almost 5%.
1: It is. It's doing much better than um, than anyone expected, really, this year. And I think that's part of what is driving that optimism about uh, the soft landing scenario. We're also seeing the labor market hold up pretty well, Mm -hmm. better than many expected. We're seeing spending um, hold up pretty well as well. So I think that some economists say that there will be a slowdown in 2024. But in general, I think people feel like things are on a good path.
0: Okay. here's the rub. Consumer sentiment, as we know, and consumer confidence are both mm-hmm. elevated. And in, in fact, consumer uh, confidence came out this morning, and the and the quote that they used was renewed optimism for 2024. That's mm-hmm. despite prices remaining elevated and consumers still spending, and yet there is that undertone of agita. Or is that just me reading the tea leaves wrong? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I I think that's true. I think
1: that people, when you look at the consumer sentiment data, people are are finally starting to notice that inflation has cooled and they're starting to feel the benefits of that. They hear the news that the Fed has probably done hiking rates. And so I think that is translating through to some of the sentiment data. But- they still feel like prices are high relative to where they were right. a couple of years ago. And so I think that still causes some discomfort, some anxiety when people go to the grocery store or whatever. They're still like, oh, this isn't, this isn't great. So right. it'll be interesting to see how the sentiment data evolves in early 2024.
0: Real quick, uh, and I hate to put you on the spot in like 15 or 20 seconds, oh. but but here here goes. You ready? What, <laughs> what are the downside risks? What's keeping Jay Powell up at night?
1: Yeah, I think there are geopolitical risks. Certainly, you know, we have, we still have the situation in uh, Ukraine. We have the situation in the Middle East. Um, and, you know, there are still some parts of inflation that haven't uh, cooled as much as uh, perhaps people would like. Uh, shelter, I'm thinking about that. So, there, you know, there's still some progress that yeah. needs to be made.
0: Amara Mokwe at the Wall Street Journal on this Friday before Christmas. Thanks. Thanks, Kai. Wall Street on this second to last Friday of the year a split-ish decision. We'll have the details when we do the numbers. It has been a year. For equities in this economy, quite the 12-month rally in stocks. The bond market has been interesting. Alternative investments have gotten some love, too. Bitcoin has bounced back. Caveat crypto emptor, it should go without saying. But investments go down, too. And in one particular case, down and down and then down some more. What, might you ask, is the thing of which I speak? Well, here's a hint or two. Goes by an acronym, was one of the hottest investments in the markets a couple of years ago. Think art and cryptocurrency, kind of mashed up. Any guesses? Come on, you know this one. NFTs, non-fungible tokens. According to a recent review by the crypto marketing firm Dap Gamble, 95% of all NFTs are now worthless. Stacey Vanek-Smith is on the marketplace desk of What the Heck Happened Today?
2: NFTs. Did we know what they were? No. Did that stop us from buying them? No. 23 million people bought NFTs, and they were everywhere. Last year NFTs popped up in Super Bowl ads, White House speeches, Saturday Night Live skits. So much
3: money. Can you please explain what's an NFT? I,
2: said, what the- I can try. An NFT is a drawing or a video clip you buy with cryptocurrency on the blockchain. It's like a little piece of property you own in cyberspace. Still confused? Yeah, So were a lot of people. But it didn't seem to slow anybody down.
4: I definitely had FOMO. I'm like, what the heck is going on?
2: Claudia Hess is an art appraiser in San Francisco. She jumped into the NFT market a couple
4: years ago. And it was hell, let me tell you. Really? It was so complicated. And I'm like, has there ever been a freaking harder way to buy art? probably not. The biggest, you know, knock upside my head was dissecting the Beeple sale.
2: The Beeple sale happened in March of 2021. Christie's auctioned off a collection of NFTs from artist Beeple. Here is the Christie's recording of the artist as the bids got higher and higher.
4: 69
5: million. I think it probably means digital artists here to stay. $69
2: million. After that moment, NFT sales took off. There were reportedly 12,000 NFT sales happening every day. Kyle Heiss was involved in a few of those. Actually, more than a few. Like hundreds, I would say. Heiss works for a tech company in San Francisco. He'd been collecting NFTs for years. But after the Beeple sale, the money got big and he kind of got swept up too. One day, he found himself shelling out $3,000 for one NFT. Did you pause at all, thinking, like, this is a lot of money to spend on this?
3: Like, yeah, it's $3,000. Like, I've never even bought a car that's worth that much money.
2: (laughs) 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 The NFT in question? Pancake Squad, number 2145. What did it look like?
1: I have no idea.
2: For the record, it's a cartoon of a chubby purple bunny in a little red cap. Heist doesn't remember because the picture wasn't the point.
5: I was like, this is easily going to go up in price. I can flip this NFT.
2: Heist did flip Pancake Squad number 2145, nearly doubled his money. Deals like that helped the NFT market balloon to more than $25 billion last year. And then the bottom fell out of the whole cryptocurrency market. Between the collapse of FTX and all of the scandals and trials that followed, the price of crypto cratered. And so did NFTs.
5: I still think the NFTs are funny,
3: but they're worthless now.
2: Heist lost thousands on his investments. And he got off easy. Now, regulators have descended on NFTs. The Securities and Exchange Commission recently settled with NFT issuer impact theory for $6 million. State regulators are also taking action. And lawsuits of all stripes are hammering the NFT space.
3: Hello, my name is John Jasnock. I'm an attorney at Scott & Scott.
2: Jasnock represents a group of investors who lost big on a collection of NFTs known as the Bored Ape Yacht Club. They were cartoon drawings of apes, but people were more interested in who was buying the apes.
3: Madonna, Steph Curry, Jimmy Fallon, Snoop Dogg.
2: Justin Bieber dropped $1.3 million on an NFT of a forlorn-looking ape wearing a t-shirt.
3: There were certain perks that would go to holders, you know, admission to parties and events. So it would really promote it as a way to rub elbows with the stars.
2: Those elbows did not come cheap. One of Jasnock's clients paid $400,000 for a Bored Ape NFT.
3: The value of these assets has just plummeted.
2: Justin Bieber's $1.3 million NFT is now worth an estimated $60,000. But there's evidence the NFT market is starting to come back to life. Prices have stabilized, and investment bank UBS just issued a pretty optimistic outlook for the tokens. Collector Kyle Heiss says he's hanging on to his NFTs.
5: Maybe one day I'll wake up and I'll have a $2,000 NFT in my wallet. You can't participate in the lottery if you don't play, right?
2: After all, in a world where fuzzy bunnies and apes in T-shirts can go for millions, you just never know. I'm Stacey Vanek-Smith for Marketplace.
0: I want you to think about big, expensive stuff in this economy. Machinery, appliances, airplanes, computers, too. They're all categorized in government economic data as durable goods, stuff built and expected to last. This morning, the Census Bureau shared with us its latest data on durables, up nearly 5.5% in November, way more than economists had been guessing, and a nice bounce back from October's decline. We are going to focus on core capital goods. Taking out airplanes and defense equipment, they are really expensive and they skew the data. And we're going to look at what companies are buying so that they can make stuff for us to buy. Marketplace's Mitchell Hartman made some calls to talk capital investments. Maytot is a 136-year-old dumbwaiter
3: manufacturer near Chicago. And company president Jim Piper is shopping for investments to pump up productivity. We're in a fortunate position because we're coming off a record year. The company's industrial lifts are in high demand, so Piper's looking to buy equipment that'll take pressure off the 40 workers in his shop. As an example, I have a paint booth that was purchased six years ago that is no longer of a size and scale that can accommodate the throughput we need. Piper says each part of his operation, cutting, welding, assembly, engineering design, needs new equipment or software, which he says he can afford in spite of the high cost of borrowing. The interest rates are really not a huge factor. We're fortunate that we have dry powder that we can use for investing. We may not need to tap too many lines of credit or look at loans. Hanover Co-op Food Stores is also looking to invest in new technology. The grocery chain runs six stores with 300 employees in New Hampshire and Vermont. Director of Finance Jamie Scheckman says the company is facing an aging workforce at the same time wages have shot up.
5: We got self-checkouts in two of our locations, and we're looking at putting self-checkouts in our other locations that allows you know, one cashier to oversee a bank of four different self-checkouts.
3: That's a capital investment of about $150,000 per store. And the chain is looking at yet more automation.
5: Electronic shelf tags are something that would allow us to push through price changes with very little manpower.
3: Scheckman says it's a big upfront investment, but it'll free up staff from posting prices manually so they can do things that add more value to the operation. I'm Mitchell Hartman for Marketplace.
4: Coming up. We are very busy right now.
0: Better busy than the alternative, right? First, though, let's do the numbers. Dow Industrial's down 18 points today. Less than a tenth percent. Ended things at 37,385. The NASDAQ 29 points to the good, 2 tenths percent, 14,992. The S&P 500 found 7 points, 2 tenths percent, 47 and 54. For the week, the Dow up 2 tenths of 1 percent. The NASDAQ gained 1.2 percent. The S&P 500 rose about 8 tenths of 1 percent. Bond prices went down. When that happens, the yield goes up. The yield on the 10-year Treasury note rose to 3.90 percent. You're listening to Marketplace. This is Marketplace. I'm Kai Rizdahl. We were talking earlier, Amara and I, about this morning's PCE data, which does get a lot of play for its measurements of inflation. Also, in there, though, is data on personal income and spending. And it turns out disposable income rose in November, as did the savings rate. Marketplace's Samantha Fields makes it all make sense.
6: We all know what a difference it makes in our personal lives to get a raise at work or a new job that pays more. Well, when that happens for millions of people, it also makes a big difference to the economy, which is largely powered by consumer spending.
3: The single most important driver of consumer spending is income.
6: Charles Lieberman at Advisors Capital Management says this latest PCE report
0: shows household income is doing quite well. It's growing faster, meaningfully faster than inflation. And so consumers have real income growth.
6: Why is income growing so much now? I mean, we're going to be debating this as economists for years to come. Wendy Edelberg at the Brookings Institution says for much of the last couple of years, inflation has been outpacing wage growth.
4: And we expected some catch-up. We expected firms to say, we need to retain our workers. We need to make sure that it's worthwhile for them to keep these jobs. By giving them raises.
6: And the combination of that and inflation slowing means people have more spending power and more ability to save though Ted Rossman at Bankrate says the saving rate is still low, about 4 percent.
0: Pre-pandemic, it was in the sevens. And in fact, most of the decade before that, we were somewhere in the 5, 6, 7 percent range.
6: Still, Rossman says, there's a lot to feel good about.
0: For a while now, we've been saying that there's this odd disconnect between sentiment and reality. And even though the job market's been good and economic growth has been good, People haven't been feeling good about things because high inflation has been gobbling up whatever wage gains they're making.
6: But he says now that that trend has reversed, surveys are showing people are starting to feel better. I'm Samantha Fields for Marketplace.
0: There are, as you might imagine, with a problem as complicated as climate change is, a whole lot of ways to deal with a warming planet. There are technological possibilities. Changes in human behavior are nothing but essential. And nature itself presents some solutions, too. Wetlands, those squishy bits between lakes and oceans filled with nests and birds and alligators and more, can offer some flood protection as sea levels rise. But all across the country, marshes have been drained or even paved over to build homes and cities. Restoration is happening, gradually, but not without fights over money and development plans, including here in California, south of San Francisco, in the small town of Newark. Ezra David Romero paid a visit. Right on the southern edge of
5: San Francisco Bay is the city of Newark, home to 50,000 people. It's like most parts of the region, dealing with dueling expensive crises, housing and climate change. In the city are two patches of land where developers want to build more than 600 homes for middle-income earners. Reminder, the medium home price here is $1.2 million. One of the lots is mostly empty, and the other is a pick-and-pull auto yard. We're heading to this place called Pick-and-Pull, right on the marshlands. It's been there since I moved here for the last 15 years. Longtime Newark resident Taryn Singh calls this the most at-risk part of Newark. Instead of homes here, Singh would rather see this area restored to its natural habitat so it can soak up rising seas. The bay is going to push more water to the shore, and that would mean these houses that are built on the edge of the bay are going to get flooded. Scientists project seas could rise by at least a foot by 2050 and over three feet by 2100 that alarms sank because he wants this area to be here for his 11-year-old son when he grows up. I want him to enjoy the environment we have, but also when I'm no longer here, I want him to remember that I stood up for something that I valued. Next year, the city could move to restore this area instead of building hundreds of American Dream-style houses with big yards. If that happened, the land would become part of the less than 15% of wetlands remaining in the Bay Area. During a king tide last year, water reached the property's southern edge. Eric Boucher is an attorney with the environmental watchdog group SF Baykeeper. In 2050, when everything is significantly higher than it is now, the sea level rise, those areas are going to be inundated most of the time. Restoring this land could be a climate solution to protect the region from surging seas. San Jose State Environmental Studies professor Lynn Trulio says it could help save the region millions of dollars by not having to build seawalls or levees to keep water
2: out. There is not enough dirt to protect the entire Bay Area from sea level rise when it really starts cranking, you know, to build giant levees. Here's a place where we wouldn't have to do that and has this topography that really allows the marsh to move in.
5: These potential developments are at the heart of California's economy housing, and preparing for climate change. It's something the Newark developers are taking into consideration by planning to raise the homes by 14 feet. Evan Knapp is with Integral Communities, one of the two companies seeking to develop the area.
3: We've tried mightily to make sure that we find the commonality that we have between environmental and development. I think this is one of those sites where if you start checking the boxes, it's an overwhelming positive for the city of community.
5: The issue of homes versus wetlands isn't unique to Newark. Developers around the country want to appease people's desire for beachfront living. But for Taran Singh, building hundreds of homes on the shore only ensures calamity. To me, this land means something more uh, than just a piece of land. Right? It means to me that we care for the world, right, as human beings. We, it is not just that this is a place where, you know, we should just build Within six months, the Newark City Council will weigh in on the area's future. And cities and developers across the state are paying close attention to what happens in Newark, because the outcome could foreshadow what California values as the shoreline rises. In Newark, California, I'm Ezra David Romero for Marketplace.
0: Your mileage may vary on whether this is, in fact, the most wonderful time of the year. But if you're a retailer, you better believe it is. If you're running a business, though, you learn early on that it's not what customers are buying now. It's what you want them to be buying in the future, which means even in the midst of the hustle and bustle of this holiday season, people like Kristen Tallheimer Bingham are looking forward to 2024. She co-owns Dean Suites in Portland, Maine.
4: We are very busy right now, which is wonderful of course. Uh, The last few weeks have been and are, continue to be the busiest weeks of the year for us. We are preparing and have been preparing for 2024, actually for quite a few months. Next year, uh, 2024 will be our 20th year in business. So basically our plan, is that we're challenging ourselves to create a new chocolate each month for 12 months for all of 2024. These new products will be part of our 20th anniversary subscription boxes. So this is something that we've needed to plan for a while. And uh, even with a plan, it will still be challenging for us to do 12 new chocolates in 2024. But um, that's where we're headed and we're excited to try it. As our business has grown, especially over the last few years, we've learned really over and over again how important it is to do things early. It's one of those lessons that's that's difficult for us because we're always concerned that if we overpredict what we'll need, we'll be left with inventory that we can't use. Time has shown us that we really need to start earlier, and we really do need to make more. There's always going to be a risk, but we'd rather risk uh, overproducing rather than not having enough when, when there's demand for chocolate.
0: Kristen Tallheimer Bingham there. If you are a chocoholic, you know where to go. Dean Sweets in Portland, Maine. This final note on the way out today, a little bit inside baseball, but interesting, I think. The Dow Industrials, as I mentioned, were down just a touch today, while the NASDAQ and the S&P both had modest gains. Why did the Dow not measure up? Well, first of all, it's a price-weighted index. You need to know that. And among the 30 blue chips, Nike... Was down almost 12% today on a weaker than expected sales outlook. And not for nothing, the company is saying it's going to cut $2 billion in costs over the next three years. Our theme music was composed by BJ Liederman. Marketplace's executive producer is Nancy Fargali. Donna Tam is the executive editor. Neil Scarborough is the vice president and general manager. I'm Kai Rosedale. Have yourselves a great weekend, everybody. We're back on Monday because we're working. I hope you're off. This is 8 p.m.